Welcome to The Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still, less ukulele. In this episode, the rise of craft lager has been predicted many times, and seems, in the last few years, to have finally come to fruition. What about the IPL, or the Hoppy American Lager? When they first appeared, they were frankly awful. But as with all things, given enough time and attempts, brewers have figured their way to it, and one of the most lauded is Jack's Abbey's Craft Loggers, just outside of Boston. So I'm sitting down with Jack Hendler to discuss making a hoppy lager, and why a lager might just be the most complete use of our flavorful hops out there. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, a group of more than 40,000 individuals from more than 70 countries who share a passion for brewing and enjoying great beer. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. All right, well, welcome back, everybody, and thank you for sticking around and listening to those messages from our fine, fine sponsors. Remember, as always, if you interact with any of them, tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files. I want them to know they're spending their money kind of wisely, mostly wisely, whatever. Thank you. And you heard in the intro, the the world of hoppy loggers has kind of become a, a well, it's been going back and forth. There've been good ones. There've been bad ones. And there's been a lot of questions about how exactly you do that. So I figured instead of me trying to tell you something that is not so much my bailiwick, but a place of things I like to drink, uh, I draw on an expert, sir, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. My name is Jack Hendler. I'm one of the co-owners of Jack's Abbey craft loggers. And, uh, the brewery started about 10 years ago. We're located in Framingham, Massachusetts, and um, you know we we focus on lagers, and uh, certainly we brew plenty of hoppy lagers. Yeah. Uh, j- just outside the one of my favorite cities in the world, Boston. But you said okay, yeah, you started the brewery about ten years ago, um, and very much focused on on lagers. And again, people can find you all all over the place in New England. I think, in, in fact, when I actually put out a message to people to say, "Hey, who can help?" help me understand how to make a hoppy lager. It was like your name popped up easily five times in the first seven comments. So <laughs> I figured that was a pretty good ratio. Well, it's not, it's not a huge category of beer. And certainly we're one of the, one of the few that brews a, a whole wide variety of, of this style. It's not, it's, 
as you said, it's growing, but it's still certainly a somewhat niche uh, product line that that we're we're brewing here. And actually, speaking of niche, at least in terms of the the craft beer world, you mentioned it, but you guys have a lager focus. So, out of this world of craft beer, why did you decide to to drive on that lager line? I love lagers. My, my if I'm if I'm drinking a beer that I really want to drink, it's probably some sort of of lager, Helles, Pilsner, Dortmunder, Schwartz beer. It, it sort of doesn't matter. I, I definitely tend towards the maltier side, although not the the heavy side of of beers. Um, and that's sort of right in uh, the more traditional style of lagers wheelhouse. But we certainly. We certainly feel that lager beer in the craft beer scene has been long underappreciated and long underbrewed, and it's something we really wanted to focus on, and we felt that we could really push forward a lot of misconceptions that, that people have about lager beer. So what was your experience with beer making, brewing, all that before you started the brewery, before, before the business came about? So before the brewery started, I was brewing for six years, uh, and that was in the Boston area. I also went to brewing school, and I trained in both Chicago and in Munich, Germany, um, as part of the Dome and Siebel course. And uh, you know, I've since continued, even even since I've started uh, Jack's Abbey Brewing, uh, been continuing to educate in things like MBA courses and Oregon State University has, uh, has like a microbiology quality control program. So, you know, continuing education is certainly an important part of um, producing great beer. Uh, and, see, and there's that, that German aspect that also helps play in the lager idea. Absolutely. Obviously, when we look around the, the craft beer world, there's a lot of hype. Right. And there's a lot of hype driven stuff. And it feels like every brewery I go into these days, it's, you know, hey, I've got six IPAs on the board. Half of them are hazies. Uh, there's another set of milkshakes. There's pastry stouts. There's, you know, all this sort of stuff. How how do you guys connect with that that audience or or is it not even your concern? Like, are you just you're there doing your thing and the audience that wants that is going to come to you? From the Jack's Abbey Craft Lager side, we're not directly competing with that. However, I still think that people who very much enjoy that style of beer, there is still that interest on having, and I hate to say it this way, but like a lighter option or like an all-day drinking option. So I still think like for someone who's very into some of the... um, the the hot brands or I forget how exactly how you how you phrase it but I think that those people are still looking for the best of other styles of beer and you know we're we're certainly hoping to attract uh, anyone who's looking for a Hellas or a Pilsner or a Schwartz beer or any of the other uh, more traditional styles or even some of the hoppier styles of lagers that we're brewing. You guys very kindly sent me some beers to try so I could uh, understand the brewery a, a bit more. And uh, the one I think that surprised me the most was uh, the shipping out from Boston because I I, yeah. I I popped that one open and and it wasn't exactly what I expected. I've gotten so used now to, I swear, if it's not a stout, every beer that I get from a brewery now is like three to four SRM. And then that one came on as like a full malt blast. And it was like, oh, wow. 
Yeah, you know that that fear is sort of a for for us that was sort of a it, it's definitely not a traditional traditional German style. You wouldn't find that beer in Germany, but we still are gonna dec- we still decoct that beer. We still naturally carbonate that beer. We still use German malts, uh, although for the. Although the focus of that beer is the the American and the local ingredients that we're using, so we're using malt from two local maltsters, one in um, Western Mass and one in uh, Southern Mass, and we're using all American hops in that. So it's almost like a throwback to 1990s uh, American amber ale. I, I know that ours is a lager, but sort of using what was available at the time locally to produce just very flavorful beer without really overthinking it. And that was sort of the whole thing. Like, how do we support local uh, manufacturers who are um, producing great ingredients near us and put it in a, in a style of beer that's approachable and drinkable? And yeah, it is weird to think that a amber lager could be somewhat unique, in the, but in this market, it's very it's just driven right now by IPA. So it does sort of stand out for uh, its uniqueness, even though it probably would not have uh, 20 or 25 years ago. And now that you said it about the Amber Ale, I think what it, what it mostly reminded me of if Negra Medola and old school Otter Creek Copper Ale had a a child and it grew up stronger. (laughs) Yeah. You know, those are, you know, they're, We've sort of lost like the beginning of the craft beer world where people made really great tasting beer, but we've sort of gone to this extreme and there's nothing wrong with that extreme except for the fact that it's overtaken everything else. I I don't mind. I would like just more diversity of beer and, and, and instead of having sort of this, uh, very singular thought process when it comes to releasing beers right now. That's true. But yeah. Uh, people uh, people are trying to keep their businesses open, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I mean, it was like the, the big news that happened earlier this week was Sierra Nevada saying that they're discontinuing the stout, which made me very sad. Yeah, you know, we, we say that, but I couldn't tell you the last time I bought that beer. So, you know, may, I don't even know if it's been available in the market. It may have already been discontinued from the mass market for years. I don't know, but th- I think that's sort of, sort of telling. You know, it's unfortunate that it is hard to find a porter or a stout that's not, you know, coffee porter or coffee stout or, or you know, something something to that to that effect. There there is sort of a, a huge change in some of the core offerings that even some legacy breweries uh, are having to deal with. Yeah, as Denny would say, a dearth of uh, beer flavored beer. <laughs> now let's get into the into the hoppy lager part because the whole hoppy American lager ideas. And, and I, I do want to lay the groundwork here first to, for people. Uh, what we were talking about here is we are not trying to say that, Oh, you know, a hoppy lager is unique to America. There have been a lot of sort of hoppy loggers over the cross of, over the course of history. Uh, but in this particular case, what I want to focus on is the idea of American breweries trying to make a lager version of an IPA. Like a lot of people called it IPL for a while. And a lot of the very early ones were very tea-like and not so tasty. How do we rescue the idea of a hoppy lager from that that day and that image? So as we mentioned up front, hoppy lagers are you know becoming a thing. And I 
just want to lay some groundwork here. We are not trying to say that uh, the hoppy lagers are unique to America or to this period of time in history. There have been plenty of hoppy styles over, over time. But very specifically, I want to talk about the whole world of IPL or hoppy American lager. You know, basically, the craft attempt to merge lager with IPA. And I know, I think when, when we talked before uh, for an article I wrote, I think we both agree that the early IPLs were a little lacking. I would say, I would say that, you know, I, I, I try not to say judge like good and bad, but I usually will say, I, I, I'm, I would say it's more than fair to assess that there's been significant changes to the hoppy lager category over the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I just remember a lot of the early hoppy lagers, hoppy American lagers, hoppy IPLs, whatever. They they seem to focus very much on, hey, we want to do something very German in mind. And they used a lot of like very classical noble hops. So a lot of Zots and a lot of Tettnanger and Hallertauer varieties. And they always ended up, I think, just tasting very tea, like just from the sheer amount of hops being used. Um, but you guys are taking a different approach. Absolutely. So... Yeah, well, you know, what I think what you're referring to is what a lot of that style was often called Imperial Pilsner too. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of there's that that crossover between Imperial Pilsner and IPL, and Imperial Pilsners did use all those very low alpha hops and very low oil hops. So you got a lot more plant material, and is yeah, you get a very vegetal character when you when you dry hop with those sorts of hops. So in, in the quantities that we're talking about, so I, I sort of agree with that assessment. Where certainly that IPL category has really branched out to more of the those nouveau uh, American, really aromatic hops, you know, notably Citra, but any of the other more uh, recent hop varietals that have come out for IPAs. Well, and not to mention the fact that now the Germans are making very odd hops as well. That is correct. You got things like Huel Melon, Kalista, um, Blanc. Blanc happens to be one of my favorite German hops, and that's one that we, we've we used a bunch to make. Um, we don't call that one uh, a hoppy lager, but it is a dry hop pilsner, which, you know, it's sort of... It's sort of in the same wheelhouse, but again, we, we don't want to call that one an IPL because it's still very Germanic in in uh, profile, but it doesn't have that vegetal and herbal character because it is a, a higher alpha, a little bit higher oil hop, so it's sort of like an in-betweener. It's, it's your stepping stone. Exactly. Speaking of stepping stones, if we go from there, what if somebody were to ask you, hey, what is your ideal hop forward lager like what's your answer there um you know that that's sort of a a tricky thing because i hop hops are very personal and i certainly am very biased towards certain hop varietals and that's gonna that's gonna impact my decision but uh i happen to really like um you know i just mentioned i really like hallertau blanc um a hop that i find is very similar in some ways but sort of uh, a more American is uh, Nelson. Nelson just gr- gives a great uh, hop character that I think works well. We use that in our Kiwi Rising, which is one of my favorite uh, hoppy beers that we brew. And um, you know, then you can go go back to things like Citra, 
and and be more sort of the you know your modern standard IPA. Um, but I think what's unique about brewing really hoppy beers with a lager yeast is that you've really taken the all the other variables out of that beer. So it's sort of a true showcase of that hop variety's potential, and you got the cleanest, truest, purest specific hop aroma and hop flavor coming out of that. So I think in that respect, it's sort of unique when you're using lagers where you can really showcase each of these individual hops that, that you might want to learn more about. So even from an experimental, like if you, you want to learn about this hop and how you can use it in your brewery, even though you're, if you're an IPA brewer, being able to brew a, brew a lager with that hop, you, you're going to get a better understanding about how that hop actually translates it translates on its own into a beer what the the argument being that your lager yeast is going to have less less aromatic or not even aromatic or organoleptic impact right so fewer esters fewer phenols maybe a touch of sulfur but there are ways around that and yeast that don't do it so you've got less that's competing with your with your hops absolutely and you know it doesn't have to be that way you could certainly make a lager that has a lot of competing flavors with your hops but if you're if you're Doing it for that purpose of, of showcasing that, that hop varietal, it's best you can do it to the highest degree with the lager yeast. Speaking of which, then, do you have a, a preferred lager yeast for, for doing that sort of hop exploration? Yeah, we, we focus primarily on one one hop, for, hop strain here at the brewery. We've used a few, um, but 95% of the beers that we brew will be with uh, your standard... Um, you know, whether it's called German lager or, you know, every, every, um, yeast manufacturer calls it something slightly just different, but it's your most popular, uh, traditional German lager yeast, um, 3470, um, which is the dry version. Yeah, good, good old 3470 Weiss global workhorse of the beer industry. Exactly. It, 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 I, I've told people before here, both on this podcast and some of the tastings I run, it's like, you know, if you're tasting a, a lager beer, you got a better than 80% chance it's made with a 3470 derivative. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, one is it, when you think of lager and what the characteristics of a lager are, that yeast is going to produce those characteristics. It's also just very, it's actually relatively, as far as lager yeast go, easy to work with. And, and I think the biggest issue is that there may be dozens of different lager strains, but the, the actual difference between a lot of these strains is relatively minor. You're not comparing like a Belgian Cezanne yeast to an English ale yeast to a Kavik strain, which may or may not be an ale strain, but to, uh, you know, an American ale strain. So like the, the differences between these, between these yeast strains is fairly, fairly small and so if you're if you know there isn't a real compelling reason to use something with a small variation it makes a lot of sense to to use that yeast from a lot of its other just functionality and logistics standpoint 3470 also does come righteously by its reputation as just being a solid reliable yeast strain that that does its work and actually provides a relatively smooth experience for the brewer (laughs) All right, so we've established that you that you're using that workhorse of a yeast strain. 
what other things are going into making sort of this, these really good. And like I said, people told me a lot on Twitter, kept pointing at you guys going, Oh no, if you want hoppy American lagers, you go talk to these guys. What are, what are your foundations to making a good hoppy lager? It really depends on what style hoppy lager. So we, we've, we, we look at, even though, from the craft beer world, it's probably looked at like as a single style. Um, because we brew so many of them, we look at it in many different directions. And we've, you know, we've done things like rye IPL or uh, uh, sort of playing off a rye IPA, doing a rye India PL lager. We've done double uh, doubles. Um, we've done ones with uh, fruit. We've we've sort of taken the the perspective that if you can make an IPA style, we can make an IPL style. So we'll, we'll take basically inspiration from a lot of the things going on in the IPA world and sort of make them work for, for our brewery and, the, and what we're doing. So um, we're going to be a little sort of with the same considerations that you would do for an IPA, like what, what hop varieties are we using? What adjuncts are we potentially using? And how are we going to um, make the flavor profiles that we're wanting? And, you know, we're not going to have the same contribution from fermentation and all those esters that certainly play into modern IPA. Um, but from the hop perspective, uh, I think that we have the same same sort of thought process happening. Um, you know, we're, we're even looking at uh, process changes with hops that are, that are happening in the IPA world where... We're brewing uh, uh, hoppy lagers that are 100% biotransformed hops, so they're all going in at knockout, and we're not even technically, you know, I guess you they're still considered dry hops, but they're not going in after fermentation. They're going in uh, before or during fermentation. So really trying to, to run the gamut so that we're being... Um, as innovative on the hoppy lager side as we can be. And do you have, um, well, look, looking at the differences, you mentioned that you don't have that ester contribution and you have some of the, the different fermentation mechanics and particularly like sugars that get taken up. Are there things that on the lager side you have to be more careful about or that you need, or that you avoid that you might be able to do if you were doing an IPA, for instance? Yeah. So, you know, so one of the things, and it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a nuance, I guess it, it depends on your, your palate, but one of the things that we're really still trying to like dial, dial in on is that the beer in the end is a lager. Um, so while a, a lot of times the aroma and even to some extent, the flavor may mimic uh, uh, many IPAs, we're, we're still very concerned about the finish of the beer and and that sort of cleansing aspect that the lager loggers generally have. So we we still want people when they when they swallow and they're done with their sip to think of it as a clean, uh, clean fermented beer, a, a beer that doesn't have sort of those a, a lot of they're not even off flavors, but like flavors that are sort of attributed to to ale fermentations. Um, and sort of that, that perception of the body and the flavor of a lager is still transforming in, in the finish of, of these beers. Um, and, you know, bitterness is certainly a, a perspective uh, that we got to consider. Uh, our lagers tend to be drier than uh, 
even with the same same exact mash, we'll have a slightly drier finish with our lager fermentations. Um, so that's definitely a factor. Um, so if we know that our beers are, we either have to change our mash to have more residual sugar, or we got to plan our beers around having a slightly drier beer. I tend to think that the drier, drier body helps with associating it more with that lager, lager style of beer. Um, but you know, we've certainly done, done both sides of, of that, uh, of that, uh, brewing operation. All right. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we dive into the, into the brow series as just an example of some of the stuff that you guys are doing. Uh, can you explain to people what the brow series is? So the brow series is our single hops lager series. And we've, we've put out four or five different ones into market and we've done more in the brewery. So, uh, we currently have a variety pack that includes, um, Citra Brow, Nelson Brow, and, um, um, not much. Mosaic Brow as well is, is not in the variety pack, but we do Mosaic Brow and Galaxy Brow. Um, Galaxy Brow is the third one that, that goes in the variety. Um, but we've certainly done plenty of other single hopped, uh, brow series. And we also, this whole series came from a beer we originally brewed, um, our first year of operation called Jabby Brow. And Jabby Brow was our take on essentially making a German style Pilsner, but substituting all the hops for aromatic American hops. So we we're trying to give you that five to five and a half percent golden lager beer that's been dry hopped with a lot of uh, single hops and specifically uh, very aromatic nouveau hops like Galaxy Nelson, Mosaic, and Citra. I like the pack that, well, Kat sent me a pack with the the Nelson, or sorry, the, the, the three current brows, the Citra, Mosaic, and Galaxy, and um, yep. and also the Hapona Union. Yeah, it's like here you go. Correct. Here's an education. And here's some. Here's some of the hops to go with it. I thought that was actually. I thought that was a really great, uh, a really great little educational kit. Yeah, yeah. You know that that's that's one of those things where like you know you hear about all these hops and a lot of time these hops are in in beers, but it's it's hard to necessarily isolate and really understand, really dial into that one hops contribution to a beer, and that we thought was sort of a really fun way of honing in on on why these hops are really unique and some of the, the specific flavors that they, they contribute to beer. So can you, can you talk about how those beers are structured? I mean, I know earlier you had said like with the, the shipping out from Boston that you're using uh, some craft malts locally, but you also said, Oh, you know, we use, we use a lot of German malt. So uh, are these based on a German malt base then? So these are a bit of a hybrid. So, because we were modeling, so there's two two things that, that I think about when when we're brewing our hoppy beers is one is what style are we going after, and this one we're trying to emulate sort of a, a pilsner style beer, and the second is how is it gonna uh, work with the hops we're using, and I tend to like to I tend to think that pilsner malt and some of these hops can clash at times, particularly in the quantities that, w- that we're looking. Um, so a lot of times we'll use um, 
just two row and no pilsner. For Jappy Brow, we split the difference. It's half pilsner malt, half two row. And we think we sort of get the right balance where we get enough of that pilsner malt character that um, that is traditional. But at the same time, it's not so much that it's going to give sort of a competing flavor. Because I, when, when, I, when we use a lot of pilsner malt, we tend to get sort of a grapey, fruity character to, to the beer. And, you know, that's one of those flavors which I really like. However, it does on some level compete with the hops. And, you know, we're, you know, we're trying to find that balance between what flavor character we're, we're trying, to, trying to have in that finished beer. So going for a very neutral, uh, neutral base, you got that 3470 working for you. You alluded earlier that you do decoctions for, uh, for some of the beers. Are you doing decoctions across the line for your beers or? We, so the, the Brow series does not have a decoction. And we do that specifically because it can create a lot of malt character that we don't want competing with that hop character. Um, sometimes it's appropriate. Like when we dry, when we do our Pilsner and we dry hop, we do a dry hop Pilsner we will decoct that Pilsner. Um, but for these, we're really focused on the individual hop aromatics. We're not, we're not going to do a decoction. Um, they are still all naturally carbonated. So they're all spunded and, um, and carbonated in tank. And, um, they are all, uh, dry hops. So, uh, they have approximately two pounds per barrel of dry hop, which is all, you know, particularly for a lager is a lot, a lot of hop. I know some IPAs these days are doing four or five, six pounds of dry hop. If you think about American IPA, even 10, 15 years ago, West Coast IPA styles, two pounds would be sort of the high end of that spectrum of, of what people were dry hopping with. So for a five and a half percent lager to use two pounds of hops per barrel, it's it's a pretty significant amount of hops. Well, and that's one of the things I liked when, when I've had the Brow Series and listeners, you guys will hear me tasting some of the Brow Series after I'm done here with Jack, is they are very hop assertive. They they do transmit the experience of the hop very well, but they don't they, they don't tire out your palate, and they don't make you feel like you're being beaten about the head. How's that for uh, for a description? I think yeah, I I think that the I think the difference is you're still going to have what what I what, what I find challenging sometimes with some IPAs is it it finishes very flat and sweet, and it doesn't sort of cleanse the palate. Where, where these sorts of beers, they're going to have that a little bit of bitterness. They're going to have the clean lager finish, and it sort of refreshes your palate and, and lets you want that next sip of sip of beer. So um, it's just sort of a change in, in experience from drinking uh, a Pilsner-style beer versus uh, a New England IPA-style of beer. Right. Yeah, it, it, is, it is very inviting for that next sip. And and it doesn't feel very heavy, so bonus there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let me ask: beyond that, are there other lessons that you've learned in making these in these beers that that you think are important for people if they're going to try and pursue doing a a hoppy lager? Yeah, you know, that, that that they need to know about. Like, what do you do? Is there a water treatment that you that you aim for? Is there is there something that you've done that didn't work? Well, there's certainly plenty of things that have not worked. I, I think the, the, the key thing to 
brewing this is to not forget it's a lager. And if you're not comfortable executing a non-dry, if, if you're not comfortable producing just a 5% golden lager that tastes good without the dry hop, it's going to be challenging to make that beer taste the way you want it with the dry hop. So you still got to focus on the base beer first and work around uh, the, the hops that, to, to get to that uh, flavor profile that you're looking for. So contrary to popular opinion, you can't just hop your way out of a mediocre beer. No, I think that's like a huge misconception. I mean, that's like the, that that's, yeah, I, I very much disagree with that assessment. I, you know, and I've tried to do this in, for beers that like, oh, I'm not sure if I love this beer. Maybe we could like dry hop it. It doesn't work. That's like not a thing. You can't just dry hop a beer and, uh, and all of a sudden the beer's fine again. Mm-hmm. Um, you really, it, it's, uh, you know, the only reason you should be dry hopping a beer is to get that flavor from the dry hop that you want in the beer. It's not there to cover up because you can't, you really can't cover up that much and you really should be making sure that just better brewing, uh, uh, techniques are being accounted for when you're, when you're brewing. Well, and to your point, you know, the, what you were talking about earlier with the loggers sort of disappearing a lot of that ester and phenol characteristic, you are really dependent upon having a good solid, base because there's not a lot of other distracting flavors so if you have a lager with mediocre taste your hops aren't going to do aren't going to have anything else helping them let's put it that way yeah that's that's a fair assessment particularly for a lot of the beers we're brewing which are on the drier side and have aren't heavily malty in in character uh you're really it's going to be whatever hop you have and whatever off flavor from from your fermentation that you've created so uh, yeah, just definitely doubling down on lagering technique. And I, I don't think that that's something that is unmanageable, even at the homebrew level. Um, as long as sanitation and healthy yeasts can, can be, uh, identified, um, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be any more, uh, challenging than, than brewing with ale yeast, because even if you're, even if you don't have great temperature control of your lager, if say your lager fermentation gets up to say 60 degrees, you still could get a pretty clean lager fermentation as long as you're using healthy lager yeast. Um, and you know, that, that product isn't contaminated. So I think temperature is not, while it's important, it's not, it's not going to ruin your beer if your if your fermentation gets a little bit warmer than you than you had planned right. for. And we've actually talked on the podcast before about sort of using and abusing thirty four seventy to make an IPA at IPA ale temperatures. <laughs> so yeah, exactly, exactly. You can you can ferment, you know if you ferment it at seventy, you'd be surprised how little esters and phenolics and off flavors you actually get as long as that yeast is happy. And is pitched in the right quantities and aerated right. Uh, if you do those sorts of things right, it gives you a lot of um, a lot more flexibility than you might think. There you go. All right. So, Jack, I wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time on a on a Friday here to come talk to me about hoppy loggers. Uh, any last words before I let you go? And where? How far out from Boston can people find your beer? Well, we about 20 miles west of Boston and Framingham. Our beer sold throughout New England and New York and New Jersey. 
and uh, we do sporadic shipments uh, almost all over the country once or twice a year. So you may randomly run into our beer uh, in up to, I think, 35 states, but realistically, we only have year-round uh, distribution in eight states. There you go. Still, if you're in one of those eight states, make sure that you go grab it. If you're not in one of those eight states and you do happen to see random screwless packs of Jack's Abbey, I would highly recommend that you uh, <laughs> go buy it. Also, check your dates. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, to everybody else, like I said, I'm going to we're going to cut here, and when we come back, we will uh, we will run through some of the browse series, and I'll give you my impressions. Okay, well, thank you everyone for sticking around after that. I hope that you've learned something from listening to Jack. But of course, we can't just talk about the beer without actually trying the beer. So without further ado, the folks at Jack's Abbey were actually kind enough to send me a four-pack of their Brow series. Three of the Brows, so Citra, Nelson, and Galaxy Brow. And then their bigger, hoppier uh, lager called Hoponius Union. But what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to focus on the, on the Brows. These are all the same recipe just changing out the hops. And when I talked to Jack and, and his team, this was the recipe that they gave us uh, for, and we were actually even kind enough to do this down at a five and a half gallon batch. So for five and a half gallons at a 70% brew house efficiency, they aim for an OG of 1050, 30 IBUs, about 3.5 SRM, and land at an alcohol level of 5%. The grain bill itself is five and a quarter pounds of pale two-row malt and five and a quarter pounds of Pilsner malt. And then point. Two five pounds or a quarter pound of carafoam. And then for the hops, it's 30 IBUs worth of whatever the hop is that they're exploring for a 30 minute whirlpool. That's it. So four ounces of citra if it's 11% alpha acid. Um, one and a half ounces of the favorite hop at knockout into the fermenter. So nothing in the kettle. Whirlpool edition, hot for 30 minutes. As you go from the, the, the kettle for the whirlpool, or sorry, as you go from the whirlpool into the fermenter, another ounce and a half of your favorite hops. And then for dry hopping, five ounces of whatever that target hop is again as a dry hop when you, uh, when you do uh, terminal gravity. And then you allow it to sit for three days. So single infusion mash, 150 degrees for 60 minutes with you know, a nominal pH of 5.3 to 5.4. Ferment at 50 degrees fermentation or ferment at 50 degrees Fahrenheit, and then do a diastole rest, cool to 32. So a fairly straightforward recipe, but one that's designed to allow them to explore the hops. And let's see if this actually lives up to what Jack was talking about, where you get more hop character through lagers, because you don't have the yeast in the way, than you do, say, in a ale. So without further ado. And immediately after cracking over the can, the first thing I get is that citra. And, oh yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm trying these, these citra brow. So I figured this is America's craft hop. So we might as well try with that one first. And I mean, you can tell. Nice big fluffy white head. Very fine carbonation uh, bubbling up through here. Pale gold. Clear as a bell. Actually kind of nice for the, 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 the box art has you know, cut through the haze. Uh, it's interesting because the, the hop aroma on this is, it's definitely citra, 
you get more of the herbal notes, I think, than you than you would find in an IPA. But the citrus still comes, you know, pouring off of this. And then the flavor, just a little bit of malt. You know, a little bit of that biscuity, crackery, grainy type of character. But not a lot, which, again, looking at the malt bill, not that surprising. And then just a round hop character. Kind of hop oils all over your tongue. Really kind of sticking there and telling you, hey, I'm here. And in addition to those high sort of citrus notes, what I do get in this from the citra is I get that pineapple character, the, you know, a little bit more of those tropical fruit characters that are the softer ones that I think you can get from citra that you don't normally see when it gets blasted out in a lot of IPAs, I think. And for 30 IBUs, a lot of hop character really does get out of the way. The beer finishes dry, crisp, clean, and really get you back in there for that next sip. So, all told, I think actually a really great way to try and explore something like a Citra hop in here. Now, the other ones that are in the series, or the other ones I should say that were sent to me, are both Nelson and Galaxy. And we'll be back in just a moment to try those and see how those do. All right, and so now we're back, and it's time for us to taste the second of the three brow beers that I was actually sent. And this one's the Nelson. I'm actually really curious about this because Nelson is such a distinctive hop, you know, with that very sort of grapey type of type of aroma and flavor. So I'm really curious to see. And remember, again, this is brewed exactly the same way as the other brow. So that 50-50 split of pale and pills with a little carafoam and just the one single hop. So this is the Nelson brow. And again, when the can opens up, the first thing I get is I get sharp, spicy, hoppy aromas. Okay. And just like the citrus brown, bright, clear, good carbonation coming up, bright white head. And there it is. There's that white wine. So, remember the Nelson Savon uh, hop, kind of named to draw the conclusion over to the, the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc grapes. And yeah, you get that sharp fruit. You get that little kind of grapey acid. Let's see. Mm. And here where the citra had, you know, those little tropical fruit notes coming forward, here I get a much softer, much rounder character. I get more of, I don't want to say the, the leaf, because that, that that sounds like I'm saying hot burn. But here with the Nelson in this particular format, and this particular showcase, I do get a far more classical hop feel to it, while still getting those grape aromas and the grape flavors that the Nelson's known for. So again, very cool. And just like the, the other one, the Citra Brow, easily drinkable. You can really go through, this comes in uh, little 12-ounce cans, and you could really go through one of these 12 ounces in about, you know, two minutes if you're not watching. And the other thing I also want to point out is that the water chemistry that's used here is not too prominent. Like, it's not it's not trying to push the hops. It's not trying to push the malt. It's a fairly ne neutral sort of water chemistry. Very clean. 
Very enjoyable. And again, actually, I think this actually serves as a better showcase of the Nelson than the Browd served for Citra. There you go. One more to go, and we'll be back. All right, and now it's time for the last of the three brows I'm going to taste today. This is the Galaxy Brow. And of course, Galaxy, well, it seems like it's mandated to be in almost every hazy IPA out there, where one week it's going to be your Galaxy Citra Mosaic IPA, and the next week it's your Mosaic Citra Galaxy IPA. So let's see how Galaxy, which I always think of as being very tropical fruit, almost sort of overly ripe tropical fruit for a lot of the Galaxy hops I've had. Let's see how this one does. All right, interesting. One thing to note that's a little different. This one actually does throw a tiny bit of haze on it. Not much. Not like I'm drinking something from Treehouse, sorry. But just a little bit of haze. So that's kind of interesting to see. But again, that same tall, white, fluffy head. And yeah, there it is. That's, uh, what is that? That's passion fruit and papaya. It feels like, again, overly ripe, right on the verge of about to require being tossed. But also, in this particular format, I think it comes off as very sort of perfumey, so it's kind of nice to see it this way. Okay, now that's interesting. So, remember, these are all supposed to be 30 IBUs, right? So they're all supposed to be the same level of bitterness, same general treatment in terms of the amount of hops. I get more bitterness with this one. Like, I actually get more of a bite in the back end than I did with either the Citroen or the Nelson. So this one, to me, even though it's technically the same, feels like it's more like a lagered IPA. Again, 30 IBUs, but still a lot of hot presence on this. To the point now where I haven't taken a sip for this whole time I've been talking, and I still get bitterness on my tongue. Uh, the other thing I've noticed also between all three of these beers is there's a definite approach of, how best to put this? To me, what I'm getting is I get a lot of, get a lot more of that, that herbal character. I get a lot more of the leaf character. I get more of the the hops as a plant sort of character than I do when we say we have as an IPA. And again, I think to Jack's point earlier, there's less getting in the way of what we're tasting so therefore, we're being able to observe some more subtle influences. But again, interesting to me that this one, for whatever reason, has a bitterness to it that I didn't get with the other ones. Still, very good, very drinkable. I would have to say, if I had to choose between the three, I think I enjoyed the Nelson the most. So, there you go. I would encourage you guys, we'll include the recipe on the, on the website, but I'll encourage you guys to go and actually give this beer a try. And give making the spirit try because I think things like this, uh, the one that's local to me is Highland Park's uh, Timbo, which <laughs> takes a much more aggressive stance towards let's make a hoppy lager than than Jack's Abbey is here. But I do think that these are good ways to use hops and present them in a way that's quite frankly more drinkable than yield standard IPA. Go ahead, go give that a try. Use the recipe on the website, and well, thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at the hoppy American lager. Give these beers a try. We've come a long way, and they no longer need to be replicas of the famed lagers of Germany and the Czech Republic to be good. 
The Brow Recipe is an easy template to make your lagers hoppy and drinkable. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcastexperimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at Denny at experimentalbrew.com or Drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, click the AHA, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is World Central Kitchen, feeding those who need food in their times of need. And don't forget, we are almost done with our collection for World Central Kitchen, so if you want to help us donate, now's the time. Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files.